Good morning, church. Great to be with you online. We are doing a series, Building Places of His Presence. And we're looking at the Old Testament book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And today I've titled my message, Not Losing Your Joy in Following Jesus. I mean, it is really important that we continually experience joy as followers of Jesus. Well, when we preach from the Old Testament, it's always a challenge for us preachers because it's hard to just open up the Old Testament, read it, and then apply it straight away because it's speaking in a culture that's foreign to us and they list kings that we don't know about. And uh, it just takes a little bit of um, setup before you can get to what it is that you want to actually want to say. So let me tell you the story of how we get to Ezra and Nehemiah and uh, what's going on before we, we jump in here. So the Jewish people are established in their own land. Finally, uh, it's the land of land that God has earmarked for them and he's blessing them. And with King David, it's the highlight. Uh, they, they're living in the promised land well. David dies and his son Solomon takes over. And Solomon is extremely wise. He's inherited all this wealth from his uh, parents and from, uh, you know, the land. And he's doing really, really well early on. But he doesn't finish well because of his decisions regarding marriage, or should we say sex. And then that's the beginning of the downfall. And the kingdom gets divided. So the Jewish nation gets split into the northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. And Judah obviously has Jerusalem in it. And the northern kingdom are the first to go into corruption. They refuse to follow God's ways and decrees. And instead of being blessed and instead of experiencing peace and instead of experiencing prosperity, all of which God wanted to give them, they did life their own way. And exactly what God said was going to happen, happened. They got taken over, they got annihilated, they got butchered, and they got taken into exile They would by the Assyrians. And you would think the southern kingdom, Judah, with, the, with Jerusalem, would have taken notes and said, look, we can either follow the Lord and be blessed, or we can do our own thing, like our brothers and sisters did, and it's not going to go well. And they last a little bit longer, but eventually they succumb to their own desires, trying to live life their own way. And by this time, the Babylonians had defeated the Syrians, and the Babylonians defeat them. And they take them into exile. Well, no kingdom lasts forever, and the Babylonians were defeated by the Persians. And then we get the first king that we read about in the Persian kingdom in the Bible, King Cyrus. And it, it's really an amazing story because two prophets, one Isaiah and one Jeremiah, prophesy that Cyrus is going to do something that's never happened before. He's going to allow the Jewish people to go back to their homeland and rebuild their temple. And so the first wave of uh, refugees leave and go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. 
Now the Persian kings change, and we have King Darius, and uh, it's under Darius's rule that the temple is consecrated. Now to get some dates in mind, uh, this is obviously before Christ. 530 is the year 530 is when Cyrus died. Darius uh, consecrates the temple in 520 BC, obviously before Christ. So the dates are getting smaller as they uh, come towards. Uh, Jesus' birth. After Darius, we have King uh, Xerxes. And King Xerxes, he lives from 486 to 465. Uh, he's in power, I should say. And it's during his reign that we get the book of Esther, the next book after Nehemiah in the Bible. The king after him is King Artaxerxes. And it's under King Artaxerxes that we have Nehemiah and Ezra and the story that we jump into. Now, when Ezra and Nehemiah show up in Jerusalem, uh, they needed to really encourage the, the locals to finish up the building project. And they were there with them for 12 years. And it was 12 years, actually, of, you know, some difficulties, resistance, but the, the, the Jewish people were united and there was a sense of God was with them and there was a sense of achievement and joy. And this culminates when Ezra reads the book of the law. For the first time, the Jewish people are hearing God's word to them. And this is like the highlight of Nehemiah chapter 10. Sarah is going to be preaching on that next week, so don't miss it. In fact, next week you'll have both in person and online. But after 12 years with the, the, the Jewish people, Nehemiah goes back. And he goes back to uh, report to the king, Artaxerxes, what's happening. He's only away for a year. And in that year, the Jewish people just go into serious spiritual decline. And that's where we pick up the story. And that's where we pick up uh, Nehemiah chapter 13. I really would like you to make your way to Nehemiah chapter 13. You can look at the Bible in the bottom right-hand corner of your, your screen, uh, but probably better off in a hard copy because I want you to notice three things in that um, section, in that chapter 13, that, we, that I want to focus on today. As we look at not losing your joy when we follow Jesus, there are some things in the Old Testament that... Are different because the rules are different. We are under the new covenant, not the old covenant. But the principles are the same. And so I want to look at that uh, today. And in fact, I want to look at uh, three things. I want to look at money. I want to look at marriage slash sex. And I want to look at Sabbath slash Sunday. Let's look at the first uh, item I want to address here, which is money. When things were going well and they celebrating, uh, I read this section to you from Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 35. And here the participants are all gathered together. There's tremendous amount of joy in what they've accomplished when finishing the building project. But hearing the word of God and hearing that God is with them. And these are the instructions of how to live a life that's blessed. They are responding to this, but they're making public vows. Uh, and this is 
where we pick up the story. Verse 35 of chapter 10 of Nehemiah. We promise to bring the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple year after year, whether it be a crop from the soil or from our fruit trees. We agree to, live, to give God our oldest sons and the firstborn of our herds and flocks as prescribed by the law. We will present them to the priests who minister in the temple of our God. We will store the produce in the storerooms of the temple of our God. We will bring the best of our flour and other grains and offerings, the best of our fruit and the best of our new wine and olive oil. We promise to bring to the Levites a tenth of everything our land produces, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in our rural towns. So they super excited because they are able to experience the joy of hearing the word of God and they want to be faithful and they want to be committed to the Lord and they want to experience his blessing and they say we're going to do this. And so very shortly thereafter, one year absent, when Nehemiah comes back, uh, we pick it up in verse 13. And I want you to, I suggest you write three things in your margin. The first one here is regarding money. And uh, I'm reading Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 10. Verse 10 through verse 12, just two verses. He says, I also discovered that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food. So they and the singers were to conduct, who were to conduct the worship service had all returned to, the, to work their fields. I mean, they needed money. They weren't getting it. So like people working in ministry, uh, if the money is not there, you've got to earn a living. So you return to doing other things. Verse 11 Nehemiah says, I immediately confronted the leaders and, and demanded, why has the temple of God been neglected? Then I called all the Levites back again and restored them to their proper duties. And once more, all the people of Judah began bringing their tithes of grain, new wine and olive oil to the temple storerooms. Let me just discuss it this way the way it was for them. God was very clear. They needed to bring 10% of their income, their tithe, as on top of a whole bunch of other things. But they needed to give this every year consistently with every crop. They needed to give 10% of the income to the temple. It was very strict. It was very straightforward. And they neglected to do that in short measure but now Nehemiah is encouraging them to do it again. Okay, that's then. What about now? I mean, our culture, it just finds it absurd that people of faith would give money to church. Uh, I mean, it just seems like a, a strange idea if you're not a Christian that you wouldn't just accumulate all your wealth for yourself. But as believers, and I'm talking about as followers of Christ, people that believe in Christ, uh, the New Testament is similar but different. It's saying, yes, we should tithe, or at least we should be 
as a minimum, giving 10% of our gross income to the church. And if we do this, we're going to experience God's blessing, just like God was blessing the folks in the Old Testament. But there is a sense that we should be living in a different way to the rest of the world as believers. The other thing it's particularly different in the Old Testament, there was the sense of, you know, it was the law, you had to do it. But in the New Testament, giving is actually, uh, it's God desire, desires us to be cheerful givers. He is not desiring, desiring us to give grudgingly. And so we need to be checking our own heart and say, as believers, do, do we just like resist this idea and hate this idea of parting with our money? Or... Is this something that gives us great joy? Or is this something that actually makes our faith real? It tests us because we have to struggle and say, man, I, I believe in Jesus, but I, I, I just can't part with my money. And then we say, well, do you really believe in Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus will bless you, protect you, and be with you? And it's a great faith test. So, you know, I always encourage folks around about this time of the year because we're doing our taxes. A great time to say, okay, how much money did I give to the church? Uh, did I give at least 10% or not? And if not, correct your mistake. Or maybe it's a time when you say, look, I need to commit to doing this God's way. I don't want to be accused by God of robbing him, which is exactly what God says in Malachi. He, he says to the, 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 the Jewish people, why have you been robbing me by not bringing in your tithes? So as New Testament believers, we don't want to be like feeling like, you know, we're robbing God. We want to be cheerful. We want to be grateful. But at the same time, God wants to bless us. He wants to protect us. And it's financial blessing and it's physical protection and it's our well-being. It's our emotional state of mind. It's, God wants to be with us. He wants us to experience his joy and his peace. You know, we find all sorts of reasons not to do this. We'll say, well, I need to get established first, or I need to get out of debt, or, you know, later, I, you know, I'm an exception to the rule. Look, if you want God to be with you, if you want your finances to be blessed, uh, if you want to experience God's best and his love and his protection, you really want to have the faith to be able to believe in God and to demonstrate that by, by tithing. I don't think it's, uh, it's all that difficult to do, uh, to do or, or such a big uh, faith challenge. In fact, you know, I'd even encourage folks when they're doing their will, consider leaving money in your will to the church. I mean, yes, take care of your kids and make sure they've got enough money. But... For some folks, you've got more money than your kids actually need to, when you pass down. You could easily uh, give money to the church, which for the church's standpoint, this is the type of funding that's so helpful for building programs or starting like major missions work or, you know, like Bernadette working down in the Dominican Republic with Love Unconditional, where you can give a large sum of money to really support a major ministry uh, initiative 
that otherwise is actually pretty difficult to do. So I encourage you to think about in your will and in your estate leaving money to our church. But, you know, one of the excuses that we have, and I had this challenge in my life, is what about if you're not, like, loving the way the church is running or you've got disagreements with the leadership? You know, back in the day, uh, before I planted this church, I was a regular member of the church in Framingham, Vineyard Church, and the leadership was going through some turmoil. And man, it, I didn't agree with what was going on. And it was, it was a difficult season for the church. But at, at that time, I ended up getting this huge bonus in my professional capacity. In fact, it was totally unexpected. It was a total blessing from God. And it was sufficient for me to put a down payment on my house that I currently live in. Uh, and I struggled at that time. Should I tithe on this substantial bonus that I just got out of the blue? And my question was, should I give it to the church when I don't agree with what's happening? And, you know, I felt God strict, uh, clearly give me some guidelines there. And he said, Rob, your faith is to be obedient to me. You just need to be able to release it and give it. And I realized God was absolutely encouraging me, and I did. And I, I released the money, realizing that God will take care of the church. My, I need to take care of what I need to take care of. I need to give. And the church needs to be accountable to God on how they spend it and sorting out their leadership problems. And, you know, with hindsight, I'm really, it was, I'm really glad I did that. It was a huge relief. And my joy level went right up. And I felt like I'm not responsible uh, for fixing every problem in the church or just passing opinions about things. I can only be responsible for what I'm responsible for. Uh, and in that case, it was just my little small group, which I was, was leading. Let's, uh, let me take these out of order. I said I was going to talk about money, marriage, uh, slash sex, the Sabbath and Sunday. But I want to talk about the Sabbath. So we've spoken about money. Let's talk about the Sabbath. Again, uh, you can read this and mark this in your Bible. I'm not going to read it. And this would be chapter 13, verses 15 through 22. The law was very strict in the Old Testament about the Sabbath. You could not work on the Sabbath. You had to rest. And when Nehemiah goes back to King Artaxerxes and is away for a year, Man, he comes back, they're selling stuff on Sunday, on the Sabbath, I should say, and everybody's making profit, and he, he has to fix this mess. But again, today in our culture, you know, Sunday is our Sabbath. It's the day that Jesus was resurrected. It was the day that we experienced the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's the day that we set aside uh, to be refreshed and restored. In our culture, uh, you know, people use Sunday for all sorts of things. If you're not a believer, your Sunday will be like, hey, this is the day to kick back and watch sports and do whatever you want to do, shopping, whatever. But as a believer, this day should be different. Uh, we really should say, look, I want to give my first. I want to, uh, to God. I, I want to give my time to God. I, I want to say to God, uh, you know, I want to seek your kingdom first. 
And we do that by saying on Sunday, we want to be refreshed. We want this to be a day where our joy level uh, is increased, where we can sense the presence of God again, where whatever we're thinking about or worried about or doing, we can take time and say, God, fill that my space, fill my thinking, help me out. And again, as New Testament believers, I mean, I think we get drawn so badly into the ways of the world where we consider ourselves regular church attenders and we attend maybe, I don't know what regular is, every twice a month or once a month or once a year. But God is saying, if you want to experience His joy, you've got to make it a priority and a habit that every Sunday you are refilling your tank. But we always think we can do it better. We're smarter than God. You know, if I just do this, I'll get more relaxation. And, you know, that message was kind of boring. Look, God is asking us to walk week in and week out with Him. It's not one week that makes a difference. It's a lifestyle that makes a difference. Interestingly, there was an article in Science Daily. This is a publication done by the Harvard School of Public Health recently. And uh, they were trying to um, look at what they call deaths of despair. And they were primarily looking at the medical profession. And they were saying, okay, so uh, there's a high level of burnout with doctors. There's a high level of grief because of COVID uh, in the medical profession. And what they found was really, really interesting and significant. They found that for those folks that attended church regularly, weekly, by regular they, they found weekly, there was a 70%, 70% decrease in deaths of despair. And by deaths of despair, they're talking about overdose or alcohol abuse or, you know, uh, you know, things that where people just terminate their lives, which traditionally we would think of, you know, folks that are unemployed or more stressed out and are more prone to this. But the point is, an independent study that has no interest in church is saying there's a 70% health benefit of uh, folks that attend church regularly, weekly. So I think the Sabbath is something we miss out on, quite honestly, in experiencing joy, joy in following Jesus. And so I think it's important that we ask ourselves, where is our joy? And how joyful are we? And what's stealing our joy? And are we contributing to seeing our joy wane? Is it financial? Is it because we're not tithing, we're not giving? Or is it because we're not using our Sunday, our Sabbath. We're not recharging ourselves. We're not allowing the Lord and other believers to uh, speak into our lives. But finally, let's look at uh, marriage. Now, I would encourage you to read the whole of chapter 13. I'm picking out these three points in this chapter. Um, tithing, Sabbath, and here I want to talk about marriage. And here you can find it. Actually, I won't read it. Verse 23 through 27. It's uh, really interesting because <laughs> it was very clear what God had told them they needed to do when it came to marriage. And they just violated God's, blatantly violated God's instructions. And friends, 
as believers, people violate God's instructions, which are actually very, very clear. And they're designed to bless us. God's idea of marriage is to bless us. It's to give us joy. But we tend to be often, even as believers, we tend to think we're smarter than God or our situation is different. And we take on some worldly thinking. Look, the New Testament instruction is very clear. Abstain until you get married, sexually. When you get married, you need to make a serious commitment for the whole of your life. Marry somebody only of the opposite sex and remain sexually faithful to your spouse through your entire marriage. It's not complicated. But everybody that violates these principles believes that their situation is different or, you know, whatever. But God is saying he wants to bless you. He wants to give you joy. You know, it so amazes me. If you look at marriage ceremonies, people that are not believers, that have no interest in the church, they still want to have a pastor or a priest perform the ceremony. They want all the trappings of it being romantic and beautiful. They want the blessings of God. They just don't want the obligation. And friends, it just does not work that way. If you want to have joy, if you want to be blessed, you want to make long-term commitments to marriage, to church, you want to experience God's blessing. God wants to bless you. Many people want the blessing, but they don't want the obligation. You can't do it that way. Let me end this way. What is your level of joy like now? Would you say you're experiencing a level of joy? And I would say it's important because the first thing that goes is your joy. The next thing that goes are one of these other three items. You either stop tithing, you stop being faithful to your spouse, and you stop taking time on Sunday morning to attend church. But if your joy level is up, you delight in those things. And so it's important. Where is your joy at? And what do you need to do to get your joy back? Ironically, it might mean attending church more regularly. It might mean giving. And it might be, mean spending time with the Lord. But do find your joy in the Lord. It's not optional. It's critical. We want to be believers that are filled with His Spirit and love what God has given us. Let me pray with you. The Bible tells us that uh, where your treasure is, your heart will be there too. And if we treasure Jesus, our heart will be there to do the things Jesus wants us to do. He will give us joy. But the other thing Jesus will do is give us peace. But we need to receive it. Jesus, I just pray that you would impart your joy and your peace. And Lord, that we, as your followers, would receive your joy and receive your peace. Lord, I just pray your blessing on your people. In your name, Jesus. <laughs>